Welcome to PharmaSource. Hi, I'm Luke Bilton. In today's episode, I'll be speaking to Dr. Thorsten Fallish, Head of Global R&D Procurement at Grunenthal, about his experience in setting up a procurement centre of excellence and why these days he's prioritising speed over savings. But before that, here's a quick message from our sponsor. Olon Group is a global leader in the development and production of active pharmaceutical ingredients for CDMO and generic markets, integrating chemical synthesis and biological processes while always embracing the highest international safety, quality and environmental standards. With one of the longest track records in the API industry, they have deep development expertise and a broad set of advanced technologies, making them the partner of choice for clients' molecules to enter the market successfully. Olon has a global network of 11 manufacturing sites and 7 R&D centres across the globe. Thanks to 2,300 employees, including 300 highly experienced and qualified R&D experts, Olon represent a highly innovative and reliable partner. I'm joined today by Dr. Thorsten Fallish, Head of Global R&D Procurement at Brunenthal. Dr. Thorsten has a PhD in Chemistry and Bioinformatics, and I'm pleased to say is a member of the PharmaSource Advisory Board. Before working in life sciences, Thorsten was a management consultant at EY, coming across to Grunenthal to head up their Global Procurement Excellence Programme. So shall we start then talking about your journey into pharma? And could you give us a bit of an overview of your career, please? Yes. Hello, Luke. Of course, I can do so. Thank you. As you rightfully said, my background is I'm a chemist. I have a a PhD in bioinformatics, so for the non-scientists, simulating biochemistry on a computer. So I spent like four and a half years just programming and simulating the the core metabolism of a bacterium. Um, And when I finished that, I took a step which is not so typical for the scientists because I went into business consulting. I started with a very small company of eight persons. And when I left, we were around 20, 20, 25 person-ish. I spent there four to five years. And that was also the step into procurement for me. Hmm. So to be honest, I stumbled a bit into procurement. Um, I I started in that consultancy. We had a lot of projects on the sales function side of our clients. And then when the global financial crisis hit in 2009, around 2008-2009, the whole chemical industry, where I was mostly consulting with, um, the whole chemical industry realized there is still money to make in procurement. Hmm. Uh, And we had a large spend reduction project with one of the major global chemical players. And that's how I came into procurement. So then I spent like two years in that company doing procurement projects. And then I decided to change sides and went into procurement myself. I started with um, a chemical industry group where I was doing procurement, procuring raw materials and also leading procurement organizations in Russia and the US. Uh, From there on, then after a sabbatical, I went back into consulting first. And also then in consulting, I always had my case in procurement or let's say procurement and surrounding functions. So a bit of supply chain as well, but mostly focused on procurement. Mm -hmm. Two years with Keenbaum and other four years with EY. 
in the mergers and acquisitions area, but also here again, procurement and supply chain. And after in total around 10 years of consulting and that in between piece in the, in the chemical industry, I decided that I want to change sites again. Mm -hmm. And in the end, I started at Grünenthal, where I am now. I did start as a strategy and governance manager, so which you could summarize as procurement excellence, as the strategy and governance was our word for the function in procurement. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then uh, not yet two years, but a good one and a half years ago, I took over the team for the R&D procurement. And that's also what you said in your nice introduction that I'm now the head of the global R&D procurement. Great. So procurement excellence then, was that a new initiative for Grunenthal? Grunenthal procurement before not not me but before my my boss came so the head of procurement was a scattered organization uh, so we had a loose lead buyer concept in raw materials more or less each site or each um each entity was procuring the marketing services by themselves mm -hmm. indirect procurement was done by the sites and R&D procurement was part of the R&D organization, and you could rather call it back in those days an outsourcing department or contracting and outsourcing department. And then in journey started 2017, 2018, when my, my boss came in, uh, Grünenthal took the initiative to combine all of those scattered parts of procurement and to build one procurement function. At the same time, also starting to build one global operations function, which is kind of the, the mother function of procurement. Mm -hmm. So when I came in, we had an officially at least combined procurement function. Uh, so it was one function already, but still processes set up um, roles. It was all different, uh, diverse. Uh, and that was part of then my my tasks, which I had at the very beginning. And actually, it was an exciting time. You come into a new function; it's still mostly unshaped, uh, and you see that you have in that position that I had. You have a good impact. You can shape things. You can change things, and you see all the results, and you see things improving, which is really a a nice thing. Coming into that role, were there any sort of immediate opportunities that you saw to do things better yeah so um there were a couple of topics which we directly started so without giving them a, a further thinking if we need them but just starting and say okay how do we do that because it was very clear that we needed that mm -hmm. so for example um we did not have a process a standardized process where the sourcing managers or category managers or however you call them so back then we called them category managers um, where they had to go through when they did sourcing activities sometimes when our category managers were doing tenders some of them were inviting three vendors other were just inviting one vendor because it was clear from the very beginning who would be the the chosen one 
uh, also driven sometimes by the stakeholders. So what we did is we introduced that sourcing board council okay. where the category managers had to go to and in the first place present how they are planning to run that tender. Uh, and in parallel to that process, we introduced the governance, which said over a spend of a certain threshold, let's, that was for us 100,000 euros, you need to have at least three valid offers. Okay. And you need to have a methodology pre-aligned how you want to evaluate those offers in order to um, pro no, not prohibit to not have in the end a gut-based, uh, a gut decision on mm. the vendor, but to have a structured frame which you could go through and then say, okay, here, that's that vendor which we now should use. Mm. Of course, procurement view in there, saying uh, at least 50% of the weighted criteria needs to be the price uh, or the cost that's mm -hmm. associated with that tender. And then the category managers could run the whole tender. And when they had decided which vendor to take, they had to come back to the sourcing board and get the final approval. Yeah, we all agree. That's it. Right. Okay. So that helped in structuring that, that process and also it helped a lot in transparency on what's going on in procurement and who's doing which activities. And presumably that would have really helped to measure the impact of procurement as well. Yes, depends on how you measure it. So we have a savings definition, of course, like every procurement department. Um, but since we do not measure against um, against offers, yeah, the sourcing board process is independent of the impact of procurement. So you need to calculate the savings independently. And, and what, what do you calculate the savings based on, if if not on offers? No, what I mean is we do not compare like uh, against the best offer or against the worst offer or against the average of the offers, but we compare only to previous prices. Okay. Uh, so it's not the, the you get three offers um, where the average is 1.5 million for the service and then you source for 1 million and you have 500k savings. So that's not what we do. What we do is we would say we have now consultants hired uh, for 100 hours and those 100 hours last year costed an amount of 1.2 uh, million. Okay, it's a strange example, but <laughs> very expensive consultants. Um, and this year it would only be 1 million, then you have that 200k as a saving. That's to make sure that it's actual real pricing, not just list prices you're comparing against. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Was there a technology or software component to this new process as well? Yes, in the very beginning, that was excellent. <laughs> so in the in the beginning, we really started hands-on rolled up sleeves uh, with Excel and PowerPoint okay. to manage the process. So the, the sourcing managers had to to prepare a template or to fill a template which I developed in order to present in five pages their case to the sourcing board. 
Uh, and we used actually really Excel to manage all the appointments we had in the sourcing board and the topics and the status of that activity. Um, of course, we saw this is not the best solution. So we had kind of a nice evolution of these tools. Hmm. So the next step was a tool which we had programmed, especially for Grintal, which was just to manage the process. Yeah, so all the information that has been put in the PowerPoint could now be put into the tool. And the appointments for presenting to the sourcing board could be um, scheduled via this tool. And that was a specific Grüntal thing. Mm -hmm. And then the next step, and that started like two years ago, I was also there, I was involved myself a lot. We implemented an e-procurement platform. So there we did one of the tenders, which I... <laughs> honestly did not have to present as a sourcing board because I was the sourcing board myself. Mm -hmm. um, we invited the classical range of e-procurement platform providers. So there was Zykus, there was GEP, there was Evalua, there was Jagger, there was Ariba. And I think we also had one or two others, which I can't remember the names right now. Um, in the end, Gruntar, based on that tender, decided to use Jagger. Mm -hmm. And we have implemented that now for two years, uh, up and running for, in reality, roughly one year now. Are you happy with the results? People still have some problems with it. Yeah, in using it, it still has issues sometimes, which you always have when you have a new software, like functionality is not working really, or working a bit differently than our processes work. So we need to either adapt the process or find some short workarounds or so. But in general, yes. That's often growing pains, isn't it? When you're taking on a new technology. Yeah, 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 it is. The procurement function in Grunenthal is still evolving. Also the utilization, the way how we use, in that case, Jagger, our software, and the the rules and guidelines we have how to use that, they evolve and they change. A simple example, the threshold. Above which size of a sourcing activity should you use the system and should you do it in the system? Uh, mm -hmm. So that, that there is changes in there. There is small changes and also big changes actually in the process itself, how to use the sourcing board. That has evolved. Uh, so now in my current organization, it was kind of funny. First thing when I came into Grünenthal, I introduced the sourcing board. First thing I did when I took my new position as the head of R&D procurement, I got rid of the sourcing board. <laughs> no, I didn't get rid. I, I evolved it. Yeah, we, we now call it a category council, which is a lot more stakeholder-oriented way of taking vendor decisions. So it's not only the sourcing board, a procurement internal council that approves a decision on the vendor, but we have now partnered with our stakeholders on that one. Oh, okay. So it, so it brings in a, a wider group of stakeholders now. Exactly. So one of the questions I'd like to ask is around how you brought people along with you on that on that type of journey, how you would educate the teams as well, I suppose create a community around it. So how, how did you do that? From different angles, let's hmm. say. 
so one angle was actually also the sourcing board because besides all the, the sourcing managers needing to present to the sourcing board where also I was part of that sourcing board, they also had a, a closer contact. So I could do a lot also personally. Yeah, I always saw myself not only as I am the sourcing board, you need to present to me, but more as a support for the team. So I also spent really like hours with uh, one of the sourcing managers, category managers, um, to develop a scheme on how to make the CapEx purchasing comparable yeah, mm -hmm. and factor in all the side costs that you have when you buy new machineries. So what I'm saying is there was a personal compound, a yeah. personal part of that. Um, we did a lot of efforts on our on fostering our internal community. Uh, most of it is based on our intranet community. Okay. Uh, so the, the intranet webpage we have, um, where in the beginning we had it, it was there, and we put a bit of content on it. But over time, we developed a real plan when we uh, publish something in that community, what we do publish, along what lines, what types of uh, news do we publish? And that, that grew. So when you look at our community management right now, we have an intranet page where we have a real plan that has at least a publishment, uh, publishment, well, something published on that <laughs> intranet page yeah. every two weeks. We have a, a global newsletter. We have regular town halls with the teams. We also try to do some real meetings i mean in person uh, at least for the, the the ones on on site um we do have um a, a call a regular one which we set up we call it always from the team for the team so we're always one of the team just showcases his area or something which might be interesting we had someone talking about logistics procurement about the shipping crisis we had a year ago when all the ships were stuck in front of the harbors. Yeah, mm. and he had a very interesting talk. Or recently, one of my employees gave a talk there on what is R&D procurement actually. So all of this intranet community, town halls, this call team for the team, um, the newsletters, all of this we do to create one procurement in a situation where physically people are located from Latin America uh, to what's the most Eastern ones? It's Eastern Europe. So Hungary or so is, is the most Eastern person we have. How, how big is the community? How many people do you have in the procurement function? 60 something. I think, okay. I think it's 65 right now, but don't pin me on the single FTE here. And was there, um, was there a procurement academy approach as well <clears throat> yeah that is something that helps for the <laughs> for the spirit yeah but also for the um well for the education of the teams we do have now a procurement academy it's in that setting it's a virtual one mm. uh, and it's basically most of it is outsourced 
to be honest. Uh, so we for 65 persons, roughly, it, it doesn't make sense to have a real person in the house who does procurement training only. Yeah, so th this is not enough. But we do have an, an academy. We do have the standardized role profiles. We do have a regular process now where we discuss with our teams where they stand in terms of their role profile, expectation versus current standing situation, let's say. Yeah. Hmm. Important, at least for me, is that this is not a top-down approach. So it's not that I say you should be an expert in that field and I see you as a rookie, <laughs> yeah, but it's a discussion that I have with my employees where it comes out where they want to develop, where they could develop. This is also actually the whole Grunenthal philosophy on that one. How did you measure the progress of procurement excellence as you rolled it out? Were there particular milestones or KPIs along the way you, you had to hit? That was one of the projects we had first was to define how we um, we measure procurement performance. Which KPIs do we use? Mm -hmm. uh, two, three years ago, that was, I wouldn't say a mess, but that was a, a, a raw vision. Now we really have a, a dashboard of certain KPIs, which we use in order to measure where we stand. We have a regular monthly meeting in the in the leadership team where we review those KPIs. And that's even broken down to the different procurement teams. So I have that monthly team with my peers on the, the procurement level and also with my team or for my own function, my own shop. I have that broken down then for R&D procurement. And mm. what, we what we typically measure is, on the one hand, it's standard. It's like spend savings, um, uh, number of POs, average size of purchase orders, average size of invoices, etc. And on the other hand, we have changing KPIs, which reflect the status of the processes that we want to implement. Adoption rate of the Jagger system uh, is one. And that, that adoption rate we measure in how many tenders we run via the system and what's the actual size of those tenders. Uh, um, for example, to, to see how that evolves. But I, once that has been fully adopted, we will probably get rid of that KPI because we don't need it anymore. Sure. Uh, so you have KPIs which reflect the status of the project that we are having to improve the function. Let's talk a bit more then about R&D, which is where, where you're sat now and, and managing suppliers within R&D. What is it about stakeholder management that's so challenging? Well, stakeholders are always challenging. Yeah, Everyone in procurement knows stakeholders are challenging. But um, there might really be some specifics in R&D. And those specifics are not towards the persons, but are towards the well, the the, the background um, mm. you're dealing with. Yeah? Actually, having been a consultant before with many different clients, many different industries, I am not a friend of saying, "Oh, that area is so special; it's other than all the others." Mm -hmm. But there, in fact, is something 
in R&D, which is kind of specific, and that is the scientific background. So when you talk to stakeholders in the R&D space, you most of the time you talk to scientists. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you talk to people who spend part of their lives or still working in the laboratories or who managed clinical trials, who have a very clear and detailed knowledge of these things, but who on the other side are sometimes not that business oriented as you would see it in in the um, in, in many other areas or so. I know what I'm speaking of. I have been a scientist myself. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> in my past life. I was going to ask if your background, if your PhD in chemistry sort of helps with that. It helps to understand what my stakeholders say. Uh, mm. Since I am out of that for too long, um, I'm not the person who can dive into the depth of science with them. But when they talk around this, I still have an understanding of what they're talking about when they say um, an essay. Most people, when they hear the word essay, think of an essay written with a capital E at the beginning, yeah, which is like an elaborated piece of information. <laughs> For a scientist, an essay is a standard experiment. It's a certain setup of an experiment that you typically can repeat with different molecules used in that experiment. Uh, and I, I do still understand the language. Mm. So that, that helps. How have you gone about restructuring the process around vendor decisions since you've been there? Yeah, we came from the sourcing board, which I mentioned previously. We came from a procurement internal decision board on vendors, or let's say approval board. Of course, stakeholders had their own opinion on which vendors we need to use, and we could not go completely against their opinion. Mm -hmm. But there was always friction, especially in R&D. And um, to understand that friction, you have to understand one important thing about R&D procurement, and that is speed over savings. So mm -hmm. in pharmaceutical industry, when you develop a new drug, you start somewhere and you hand in a patent to the authorities. You get the patent, and from that point on, you have like 20 years, 25 years roughly, depending on the patent, to develop your drug and to market it. So the faster you are in developing, the more time you have left on the market. Mm -hmm. And that's why Grünenthal as a company deliberately took the approach to say, here we are going the more risky way. We are, for example, conducting some of the R&D studies in parallel, even if the first one might result in that we need to stop that development and then we have spent money uh, without necessity. Mm. We plan for success. If we are successful, then we have a, have a lot more time in the end to market the product. So the key thing about all processes we have in R&D and that one of those processes is the vendor decision and vendor contracting is speed mm. over savings. Going back to the dashboard then, is speed one of the KPIs that you're able to track? It would be a nice KPI to track, but mm -hmm. that is exactly the one that's most difficult because it's always very hard to define the starting point. Mm. You can define the end point, vendor contracted, uh, signature given, um, but where do you start? The first time you hear from your stakeholder, oh, there's going to be a need, 
the first time you put it into some system, but then you miss that time in between where you have a lot of alignments. It's hard to measure, and that's why we are still not, we didn't find a solution for that one. It's an interesting challenge for someone in procurement to have, isn't it? Not to focus on savings. I can tell you it's also kind of nice. Yeah, <laughs> if makes a change. If you don't have to run after the savings. But as I said, yeah, on the other side, my priority was in the last one and a half years in that role to speed up the processes. And that's that vendor decision process that you mentioned. Mm. We came from a sourcing board. And that was perceived a lot as delaying the process because procurement persons had to go back to the sourcing board, get the procurement internal approval, internal only, then go back to the stakeholders and then continue the process. And then a stakeholder might even say, yeah, but I don't want vendor A, I'd rather take B. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I changed that to a process where I, or my team actually, not me personally, and the stakeholders together take that decision. It's a rather simple process. There is some thresholds in it. Uh, we have a rather high threshold below which my stakeholders are allowed to actually choose the vendor by themselves without procurement involvement, okay. uh, which is no, well, not questionable, but which raises questions a lot of times when I tell that story. But there is another side to it. I'm giving that upfront that heads heads up of trust to my stakeholders, believing that they will also have the right thing for Grunenthal in mind, believing that they know what they are doing, actually, and believing that they also have the commercial aspects of sourcing in in their heads. Mm -hmm. On the other side, I say, but please then, let's every quarter have a strategic spend ready. Let's look at the spend which we had in the last quarter together. On the one hand, just double checking that um, there was no nonsense in the spend, yeah, like uh, what we just said, or that they didn't bypass any existing contracts, um, must not even be intentionally. But on the other hand, that's the more important part, having a strategic discussion with uh, about the spend. Where did we spend? Which vendors did we use? Can we improve? Can we have frame contracts? Can we... Uh, some uh, condense the vendor pool or broaden it. Actually, in R&D, it's more like broadening than um, than combining vendors. So giving that upfront trust speeds up the process yeah, because there is no more alignment needed below that lower threshold of, for us, it's 150,000 euros per demand. Okay. Yeah? It speeds up the processes, stakeholders, are very happy about it. They really like it. And procurement gets its foot in the door or opens the door to have more strategic discussions together with the stakeholders on how we should work in the future. So it's not the way having a stringent process we need to follow and then force my way through, but I rather tried it the other way around Mm -hmm. and tried to create a spirit between the teams where R&D in that case, so my stakeholders and procurement really work together. We take the sourcing decisions together um, and we have those discussions together. All the other thresholds above this 150K, the basic logic is the decision is done in alignment between procurement and stakeholders. Is R&D quite unique in that? I mean, have, have you had to adapt the process 
because of the fast moving nature of research and development does that then not apply so much to sort of standard manufacturing packaging contracts yes and no yeah so driving was the the lot of friction we had in r&d uh, with the sourcing board because of the time aspect but that was just the factor why we implemented that in r&d as a first place and now actually the other procurement departments we have will follow their model will in the details look different they might have different thresholds they might have thresholds per category or so but the general approach to say um, we decide together with our stakeholders on the vendors and we have that regular strategic review of the spend that is something we want to implement in all areas of procurement so as you think ahead then what would you say your priorities are going to be for the next six to 12 months what are the main things blinking red on your dashboard at the moment to sort out well besides some staffing problems i have <laughs> the main thing is now to develop into that strategic procurement so we also very recently had a change in the setup of the procurement department. We introduced a new role, which we call the procurement leads. And the simple logic, and I'm putting it really in a nutshell, uh, is we have a lead function, which takes care about strategic procurement topics. We have a sourcing function, which takes uh, take care about the, well, the sourcing topics, the technical, the day-to-day -day work, the tendering, the negotiations. Mm -hmm. And we also have a procurement center, which for Grünthal is situated in Lisbon, which is taking care of the operational procurement. Okay. And you can imagine if you implement that, you will have, and Grünthal also has a lot of topics in defining all the nitty gritty parts of the processes. Um, for me personally now in R&D procurement, what's on the agenda is to really shape the procurement lead function to go into the strategic discussions how we want to set up the sourcing of clinical trials in the next years mm. which vendor base which approach how close do we want to be with our suppliers from a master slave like relationship to a fully integrated model um what's the the vendor panel for other categories etc so talking about a more integrated approach with certain suppliers, what's the best way to unlock innovation by partnering very closely with a vendor? I I know it's probably not what you want to hear, but I would say that depends on the vendor. Mm -hmm. uh, um, my approach is to first, you need to align at very first internally where you want to stand. So if, and I, I really did that exercise once in a very simple way. I put a, a line on a chart saying on the one hand, you have a master slave. We tell the vendor what you do. And on the other end, you have a fully integrated model where you have an open book policy. You share all figures, you share your pipeline, you share everything basically. Hmm. And you have all meetings together. And then you shift that around and see, okay, where do you want to stand? Because you do not necessarily want to share everything. You might not believe in a fully integrated model. Uh, so typically, I would place 
place it somewhere in the right half of that scale, so towards the more integrated. Mm -hmm. um, but I have never seen a fully, fully, fully integrated cooperation with the supplier. And then it depends on which kind of relationship you have with that supplier. Uh, we have suppliers. We would want that more cooperative, but you see in every meeting you have with a supplier, they are not willing to. And then you cannot force it. It doesn't help if you share anything, if they don't move. Yeah, because you are not, maybe we are not on their radar for as a strategic partner. Um, we have other suppliers who say they see us as a strategic partner, but who not necessarily completely behave like that. Mm -hmm. What we do see currently, what one of the critical factors is for this, is use suppliers who play in the same league as you do. And so when you partner, Grünenthal is not that big. We have four and a half, I think, thousand uh, employees and around one and a half billion of revenue. And when you then partner in my area with the largest CROs, so the clinical research organizations who have like, I don't know, 30,000 employees and several billions of revenues, then our spend with them, which is high from Grünenthal view, yeah, mm. is not I wouldn't say not important, but it's not as important from their view. That's interesting. You should, you should rather think about partnering with someone who plays in the same league, because then also your importance grows for that vendor. It's a no-brainer in the end. This is nothing sophisticated I am saying here, but it's something I see every day which poses problems to us. How do you try to understand how big or how important they are relative to you? We have a methodology to segment the suppliers from our side. Yeah, that's mm. one of those things that we implemented when I was also in my last position and which has continuously evolved based on different criteria. So there is, of course, there is spent. There is the, um, the importance that supplier has for us. Uh, there is the, the strategic importance. It's not so, it's hard to define. But if they are, I don't know, um, working on our most advanced asset, for example, they naturally become a strategic supplier. Uh, mm. for but we do have more. We do have a, a framework behind that. And then in the next step, we lie, we oppose, we oppose to that the way how we think the supplier sees us. And that is first, it's based on our spend with them. So how much of their revenues does Grünenthal make up? Mm -hmm. And the second thing is whether we are important from a strategic perspective to them. So we have some suppliers who, for example, they want to get into an, a new field of therapeutics, into a new indication. Yeah, and that's where Grünenthal can help them. So we have a higher ranking there than if we only looked at the spend. When it comes to spend as a percentage of their revenue, is there a sweet spot? I mean, presumably you wouldn't want to work with someone if you're 90% of their revenue, then that presents quite a risk as well. We have both. Uh, I don't have a sweet spot defined. 
but I agree to you. We have some cases where we are that small uh, and we realize this is not a good situation. And we actually in the process of thinking how we can adapt that situation as a whole. Mm. We also have the other way where we make up like the largest, the by far largest uh, customer of our vendors. And yes, you're right. There you have, of course, some risks and you need to drive a completely different vendor strategy. You need to, to, um, to develop the vendor, support it sometimes even in the task that he's doing for you to build up uh, their, their capabilities and their capacities to deliver to us. Yeah, so it's a, it's a completely different kind of relationship then. Yeah, yeah. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to share? Well, everybody, I can only advise to, if you haven't done that already, to try that approach of trusting each other with your stakeholders uh, and um, giving even the first heads up of trust if necessary, because for me, that worked out really well. That really worked. I have a completely different standing with my stakeholders than R&D procurement had before when we were more going like the hard way. That spirit is something which is to be valued. Thorsten, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Great conversation. Very welcome and thank you for inviting me. And a special thank you to Olon who sponsored this episode. You can find out more about their CDMO services on their website. Head to olonspa.com for more information. You've been listening to the PharmaSource Podcast. 